What up, what up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Petalano, and we are the Cash Flow Kings. The Cash Flow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Now, guys, one thing that we ask of you is if you like what you hear, if you could give our podcast a share or tell someone else that you may think would be interested in hearing something about real estate or learning about business. Our goal is to never have advertisements on this podcast, but we want to try to reach a broader audience and help more people. That is our number one goal. So if you hear something that you like on this podcast, if you could share it with a friend or give us a shout out on Facebook, we would definitely appreciate that so we can help other people just like you. I'm super excited about today. Today is podcast episode seven, and we're going to hear about Frank's story. So Frank downplays... The level of success that he's had, but it's nothing short of admirable. I think that he has an amazing story, particularly when he started investing in real estate. So he started towards the top of the market when he bought his first single family home. I'm not going to steal his thunder, but uh, I love episode seven and I can't wait to hear it. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, Welcome to the Cashflow Kings today, guys. We're here to help you crush it, uh, your goals in real estate and beyond. And... uh, you know, this is my interview, and uh, I'd love to have Jimmy ask me questions here or there, but instead, he wants me more in essay form, and I'll try to make it exciting and interesting. I love it. I, I asked for one long soliloquy, because <laughs> I think it's going to have the power of a Shakespearean play. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, uh, let's see. My experience with real estate started... Uh, about the age of five, uh, I remember sitting on a uh, on the doorstep of one of my dad's uh, single family houses. I love that. And it was actually uh, probably it was originally my grandparents' house, and uh, so we're sitting there. And I remember the couples coming in to look at uh, look at the house for rent and everything else. We're all excited, and and uh, it's kind of funny because over time, I have two brothers, and we thought that uh, my dad had in his basement a money making machine. And uh, because while he was cheap, um, we definitely never had to worry about money. I mean, he, he had a bunch of old cars. He uh, he was older. He was retired. But still, we never really had to uh, worry about money. Always enough food and everything else. But he was cheap. So Probably probably why he did have that money-making machine in the basement, right? Because yeah, well... To some extent, right? you got to be frugal or, or cheap or know where to spend your money. Definitely, definitely. So that was the age of five. And then... Uh, from then on, I mean, I've always loved the concept of real estate, but it's 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 come and gone. So uh, I think I had a lot of an entrepreneurial spirit as well. And uh, the next part about my life, I remember with uh, a business was uh, when I was a teenager, probably around 12 or 13. And one summer, we had a long driveway uh, in upstate New York, and we took this big wooden table, and we carried it all the way down to the bottom of the driveway, and we posted a Fast Frank sports cards. I love that. <laughs> and uh, we literally sold sports cards off the end of our driveway. So do you think that the entrepreneurial spirit or the entrepreneurial mindset is something that has helped you gain a higher level of success in your real estate investing? Oh, absolutely. Um, with Without that and a few other little things, I don't know if I'd have anything. You know, I think most of us have, especially in real estate or with businesses, you have that entrepreneurial spirit. That's what that make. That's what makes you have that passion to keep going. Yeah, you the know? entrepreneurial drive. Yeah, think about how many people that we know that have uh, tried one little thing and then given up. 
Yeah. You know? I So, not to steal Frank's thunder here, but um, I can remember I had a conversation with my dad not too long ago. We were talking about how, you know, the company that I that I run and own now, um, he said, you've always been trying to get there. You've always tried to have a successful company. I launched little side businesses, not as cool as uh, Frank's Fast Sports Cards, but, uh, you know, it, it, I... I can't remember the earliest age, but probably started with the lemonade stand around the age of five or six. Similar to Frank's story. Um, but I think just having that entrepreneurial knack or knowing that you want to chase that entrepreneurial dream, I think that's helped us both out in some form or shape. Definitely, definitely. And uh, while I wasn't good at negotiation skills, I did get a few uh, great deals out of that uh, sports cards. I ended up starting the amazing. beginning of my uh, investment money, I guess. So uh, let's see. So... As we move up a couple of years after that, when I was about 16 or so, um, deciding what I was going to do with my life, and obviously we never really know and we're always changing things, but one of the things my dad always pushed was, uh, you know, go to school, get a good college degree and get a good solid job, okay? He did not support the concept of uh, starting a business. Um, I could see that. I mean, he was a police officer and a uh, nice union job, and I ended up becoming a teacher, for a while. Nice union job. Yeah, yeah. Right. And don't get me wrong, I, I love it. Uh, I became a teacher uh, through through those kind of ideas. Uh, I, at one point, I thought about becoming an accountant or something like that with math skills. But uh, no, I loved, I've loved my years in teaching. The kids have been amazing. I feel like I've given back a lot. So I think that's a cool part of the day and age that we live in, in the sense of you can have that full-time job and build a side hustle and become an entrepreneur in that sense. And if you want to, the opportunity is there where you can break free of that nine to five, right? So Frank uh, is uh, working towards that, even even though he's well on his way there. But I think for a lot of folks out there, like start to build that side hustle, find something you like. The first one's probably not going to work out, um, but there's a ton of opportunity out there, and Absolutely. it doesn't it doesn't have to break you out of the nine to five either. It's funny you say that because I've spent so much more time with the kids uh, at school teaching them about this concept of uh, side hustle, which that's not necessarily the word we use, but just having little small businesses. I tell them it's like uh, riding a bike. Yep. Okay, failure's okay. And I know that freaks out kids in school a little bit. It definitely right. freaks out parents. But failure's okay. I said, when you learn to uh, ride a bike, that first time you fall off, do you never ride a bike again? No, you get right back up. Just like when you have that um, little toddler, or even younger, that starts walking. Yep. They fall down. And uh, they get right back up, and they keep yep. doing it. They keep doing it, and that's exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah. So I, I always think about the memes on Facebook and Instagram about I either win or I learn, right? So it's not necessarily failure. That is your opportunity to learn and hopefully gain some knowledge that you can put to work your next your next go around. So like I said, we uh, I became a teacher. My wife became a teacher, and we were getting a, a decent salary. And I was uh, still working a second job as well. And uh, I realized, you know what, while we're getting a good income now, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Right. And so I, I, I enjoyed reading, but uh, I wasn't reading, reading a lot of finance books or business books. And uh, I got that uh, quintessential book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that is one of my uh, favorite books of all time. And I, I read through that, and uh, a lot of things clicked. And uh, I'm like, Wow. I need to do something like this. Yep. And uh, this was around, uh, this was probably around 2004 or so. And uh, so we're getting to the top of the market. So uh, my wife did not want to start her house. 
She wanted a house that she was going to live in for forever, you know, and that's fine. Which isn't a bad strategy. No, it wasn't. Uh, so in the top of the market, uh, I joked that we closed April Fool's Day 2005. At the top of the market, we bought a, a nice house in a, in a nice area. We paid a lot of money for it. But uh, definitely bought at the top. And uh, what really hurt, though, was uh, the three years after that, by 2008, 2009, uh, we saw the property that we bought lose over 35% of its value. Which is incredible. And what, what was going through your mind at that point? Well, the problem was that we waited four years saving money. And uh, as we didn't know about these liar loans or anything else at the time, because I wasn't as interested in real estate. Right. And uh, we didn't realize how screwed up the market was. All we kept seeing was that the fact that the prices kept going further than we could save. Up and up and up and up. Yeah. So, I mean, the house that we bought probably doubled in 10 years, which... uh, It's crazy to think about, but not to foreshadow a little bit but we're almost there in the market again no we, we definitely are but um i don't plan on selling this time around minus the liar loans that you talked about but you you never know what when the next financial crisis may strike but yeah. um in terms of where some investors are buying property it's it's above kind of the risk reward ratio that we like to look at so at that point you know like 2000 2008 or so i was still reading and still wanted to get into real estate Especially with the prices getting so low, it's like wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna have more investments in a couple of years in in other houses than than the net than the net asset value of my own personal house, which was exciting actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what I try to do, I'm, I'm already taking risks, and uh, I don't know if Jimmy even knows this story, but what did I do? I went down to New York City and I bought some. Um, I bought some land at a vacant land auction. <laughs> Wild. Not surprised. <laughs> Auction.com. Uh, it was taking a little bit too much risk. And it was it was pretty funny because uh, it's not funny. Uh, it's funny now. We definitely lost money. But uh, I bought a vacant lot out in western Massachusetts. And I had done some research. And a uh, good thing I held out at the numbers I wanted to buy at. Because uh, originally I was going to buy two or three different lots. And... But the other two bid up too high. So the one thing that I that we talk about, and Frank and I were actually just talking with another investor early this afternoon about it, is that there's um, a risk spectrum. So Frank talks about, hey, I probably never shared this story with Jimmy, but I think about the risk spectrum, and I consider myself risk-loving. I have a high risk tolerance. I want to take risk as long as the reward is in line with the amount of risk that I'm taking. But I am always impressed with the calculated and educated risks that Frank takes. So I think early on in your investing career, it's it's you know nothing short of admirable in terms of trying to tackle something you know a few hours away because you think you can get a good deal to hopefully earn a return. Absolutely. So I wouldn't consider myself the craziest risk taker, but you can afford to take some risks. I mean, we both had uh, good paying jobs. We had a, we had a, quite an emergency fund and everything else. I mean, we could have lost all of it. I ended up losing twenty thousand dollars on that first land deal. That's after everything after. Mortgage interest after taxes after so it's about a fortune. It's about the size of a fortune builder's package, right? Except there you, go. you actually cl- cleared a deal and learned the hard way. But now you know you didn't win on this one, but you learned something. Yeah, right? oh, absolutely. You you learn a lot on every deal, whether you make money or not. And uh, one of the major things I learned in that, and this this is even um, this is crazy to think about, is think about who your competition is. Okay, so when I was sitting at that auction. 
you think about all the different people that were there, and I did not see many um, attorneys or, or other types, professionals there. I saw a lot of people that were just throwing their hands up, getting financed by the company on site. Yeah. And uh, it was definitely a sell session. Very a lot of excitement, a lot of people pointing in the room. Oh, there's the bidder, everything else. <laughs> you know, so that wasn't necessarily the best place to uh, to buy property. Right. And right. Uh, I've actually bid on some other things with them again, but I have a lot more experience and knowledge compared to it today. Right. Uh, so that was uh, so I could have quit real estate right there because I mean, first thing I had a house that had already lost a third of its value that I live in, and I lost twenty thousand my first land deal. But uh, no, that's not my style. Uh, obviously, I don't mind getting down and dirty and working a little harder. And actually, I just found my local real estate group. And I was uh, very excited. I was about uh, 10 or 11 months in and kept going to every single meeting and learning a lot. And that's what made all the difference. Definitely, definitely. That was just one more way in which I, uh, I learned. So let's see. So then I bought my first multi, I think around 2009, on actually the same street that you bought your first multi, but three is different. Which is crazy. So we, I think we joked about this on another podcast, but, uh, you know, podcast episode, we're on seven now, but on podcast yeah. episode six. Or five. Uh, no, I was going to say on podcast episode six, myself, Frank, and Mark Santos all own investment real estate on Central Avenue in Pawtucket. Yeah, within a half mile of each other. Yeah, which is crazy to think, <laughs> but uh, definitely not planned, but something cool to talk about. Yeah, definitely. So that was my first multi. It was a, um, let's see, it was a three-family. It has uh, two bedrooms on each floor, weird layout, but I bought it as a foreclosure. Yep. Um, and uh, I got a good price compared to today's numbers. I got an amazing price, but right. I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was a steal at that point, but it was still a good price, and... Uh, it was one step at a time learning, and uh, from then on, I just, uh, every year I'd try to buy one or two more deals. I was always out there looking, and uh, so that was 2009. I bought uh, another three-family in 2010. I bought another three-family in 2011. So I think the point that Frank makes is incredibly important in the sense of he's always looking. Oh, you have to always be looking, always be networking. Yeah. Absolutely. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what deal you're going to come across. But even if you don't have capital, stay out there on the street. So that, that second multi I actually um, found from someone in the group that actually was on a different podcast, uh, Craig. Awesome. That was a wholesale deal that he sold me. Yeah. Um, great price, under 150000 at the time in Pawtucket, three, three, three family. So there you go. Awesome. So uh, besides that, we uh, gradually started to invest our money. I mean, I did a few lending deals, uh, bought a few single families, bought a commercial deal here or there, and uh, then I really started to pick up partnerships. Because don't forget, I was still working full-time as a teacher. Um, I still had a second job. I was working part-time, heavy hours. Um, we had one child at home, and I, I wanted to stay married, so I couldn't do everything <laughs> Jimmy always jokes that I work 26 hours a day. Or uh, Frank, so Frank gets two extra hours in his day. I don't know where he finds it, but I'm, I'm, when I figure it out, I'm going to let you guys know. So uh, after that, I decided that uh, the best kinds of deals would be uh, partnership deals because especially there was an amazing, uh, one, my first partner, uh, he has a master's degree in real estate and he's, he's amazing in his analytics and a lot of other things and he just could do stuff he had time because he wasn't working anything else besides doing real estate so uh him and i worked together and we bought uh let's see we bought three buildings in one year it's amazing 
you know, we bought a nice six unit and uh, a four and a three all, all in one year, which was awesome. And that allowed me to really grow because he was managing the units too. Yeah. And for the first year or two, he was willing to do it for free because I was able to bring the, um, we both brought things to the deal. And uh, while he might've had decent credit and I had great credit, um, I had the income to show on the, on the mortgages. Right. So I think that that's a major component what Frank talks about, it doesn't have to be dollar for dollar, 50% partnership. I think that, you know, there are great ways to be creative. Absolutely. I love being creative with real estate. Um, just because somebody says no doesn't mean we can't come back with another offer that might be different types of terms. They might work with their price, but. So here's the golden nugget right here, not to cut Frank short. Go ahead. But I, I love this and I learned this from our local RIA. No just means needs more information. It go. means that you're one step closer to getting to yes. I'm going to say that again because this was like earth shattering when I heard it. I think this is the golden nugget. Anytime you hear no, it means needs more information. So like Frank said, maybe the deal wasn't structured correctly. Maybe there wasn't enough money down. Maybe you guys weren't going to close in a short period of time. So once you get that no, the door's open. Continue to push and see if you can get that deal closed. Absolutely. Uh, so beyond that, I started to work on more partnerships. So uh, eventually, through networking, I'd find another deal. And uh, there was a great commercial building that we picked up uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, I could have pulled it down on my own. Yep. Uh, I, had the, I had the money. I had the credit. I had, I had everything. But I figured, uh, why not work with a few partners, especially one that's a full-time property manager, and uh, pick it up together. And uh, it ended up being a great deal, and we're making money on it every month, and it was a sweet score. It's like a 12-year-old building now that we got for basically half price. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Besides that, um, eventually hit that million-dollar asset mark, which was always nice. That's, so I hit that for a short period of time, and it felt amazing. Um, I'm trying to get my way back there. Um, but definitely a huge milestone in your investing career. Absolutely. And I think uh, most people that are listening to this will eventually hit that if they keep working on it. It is not an impossible goal. It's going to happen a lot more quickly than you think as well. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm not sure exactly how many years it took. Um, I mean, I've been investing for about 10 years now. So if I had to guess, I'd say around year five or year six. And that's doing it part time. Right. You know, um, I was working between the two jobs. I was probably working about 60 hours a week, plus had three kids at home. So and another three full-time jobs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I joke that I have three jobs and three kids. But uh, so let's see. So besides that, um, uh, I don't want to set an official date this second, but uh, most people know when it is, but uh, I plan on going full-time real estate. With you just speak it into existence. So everybody listening, let's hold Frank accountable here. <laughs> and uh, I'll say within within the next uh, eighteen months, I'll say I know it's less than that, but I'll say within the next eighteen that's months awesome. I that uh, I will definitely be going uh, full time real estate. And uh, besides that, I mean, just because I go full time real estate doesn't mean I'm going to stop doing anything else. Uh, I've already started a uh, one internet business this year, and I'm working on setting up another one. And uh, plus. We we kind of do the cash flow kings. That's not even we're not even counting that as a business yet. That's a that's a business in and of itself between yep. the uh, the podcasts and the uh, the social media and the uh, the seminars and events that we've been planning and everything else. Yeah, so that's something exciting that we're going to bring to you guys here shortly. Uh, we're going to host a seminar locally to hopefully continue to give back and continue to drive value in the investment community here. Um, 
So Frank, as we look back at your story, I think the biggest thing is like early on, you had some major hurdles, right? So is there any you know, advice or knowledge that you could lend to someone to, to help push through those hurdles if they experience something similar? Absolutely. I think that uh, many people would have given up after having those first uh, two problems. Oh, by the way, one thing I'll add just to, sometimes they say that things happen in threes. Um, my, uh, my dad died when I was 17. So uh, that was a that was a big uh, effect on my life. So that's that's one of the reasons why I became a teacher instead of uh, doing something in the business world because I wanted to follow what he told me to do. You know, it's not like we really had time to uh, argue that out or to discuss it. So uh, right. that's why that's why I went that path to begin with. But uh, just like uh, Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad, um, he talks about how one of his uh, his rich dad himself was an entrepreneur and how his poor dad was a teacher. And uh, I, I love Robert Kiyosaki, and I consider that to be a lot what I'm working on right now, the fact uh, that I have this background in teaching and education, and now I'm moving into this background, especially with all my experience in real estate and business. Um, I love uh, tinkering with, with businesses. Uh, I invest in a few different businesses. I've loaned money to uh, a lot of local things, uh, you know, a local restaurant, a local this, a local that. So I, I love the concept of business even though i went to school for education and it's never perfect right but as long as you find something that fits your risk tolerance and you know a product or a business that you want to take a risk on oh absolutely i'm not saying that i'm going to uh invest a hundred thousand dollars in a new skydiving thing or something like that they have to have you know it has to be the right the right system the right setup i've told people no but you know I, i don't mind trying to help small businesses succeed and I think that's a cool part of Frank's story, too, because even just getting involved in the investor community, you're going to come across a lot of microfinance opportunities. And micro meaning like maybe you could buy a minority stake in a business for roughly 10000 but now you have exposure to something that you may not have had exposure to previously. Another great learning experience and another chance to be a part of something. Absolutely. I love being parts of ways to help families uh, do better. Uh, I actually just gave out a micro loan yesterday. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, let's see. So how can you become a better investor? I actually wrote down um, four things to remember in case I forgot them. Uh, The first one is networking. And you need to always be networking. Uh, While I'm networking a few days every week besides the jobs, every week I have at least one real estate meeting I, I go to. I try to meet up with at least one or two investors every single week for coffee or for for a meal or whatever, just not always people that I'm, I'm close to, but new people to bring in new people into the network, yeah. et cetera. You know, um, second thing, uh, partnerships. Uh, I, some people might have a problem with partnerships. Uh, I have no problem. Uh, I love all of my partners. I have not been screwed by any of them yet. Uh, I'm not saying that the first time you meet someone, you say, hey, let's become a partner. But, uh, you know, you, you meet someone, you spend time with them, six months, a year down the road, an opportunity might arise. And uh, two heads are better than one. Absolutely. So the third one is uh, reading. And uh, there's nothing wrong with reading and uh, podcasts and YouTube, but reading and learning all the time. Okay? I try to read every single day. And uh, Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, he says that he's lucked out that he gets to read six hours a day and gets paid for it. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying to, to go that far, but, you know, if you're reading 20 minutes or 30 minutes every day, think about how much that adds to your knowledge every year. I mean, Jimmy, look at you. In the last year, 
what can you say about you with, with learning about reading? So this is a great segue into Frank's last point. So Frank's last point, as I'm looking across from his page, is goal setting. So reading over the course of the last year is honestly, I've, I've leveled up tremendously. So we're going to roll back four years ago. I had always set the goal for three years, so four, three, and two years ago, effectively, that I wanted to read 12 books in a year. The first year I read six, the second year I read seven, the third year I read six again. I never met my goal of 12 books in a year because the goal wasn't correct. So 2018, I set a reading goal to read 100 pages a week. So that's getting myself in the habit of reading every single day. So essentially, so the way that I set up was 20 pages a day, five days a week, I had two rest days. Sounds kind of crazy, but it worked. I read 25 books last year. So it was 5,283 pages in total. So I had eclipsed my 100 page per week goal. But if you can set up your goals correctly, it's gonna help you achieve them that much more quickly. So reading segues into Frank's goal setting. I don't know if there's anything that you wanna to touch on. Well, you, you want to steal my thunder there, I could tell. But uh, no, with goal setting, uh, over the years, I, I enjoyed reading, but I agree. I have not really had goals. And I think that's one of the things that has taken me to the next level is my goals. And so, for example, this year, and instead of calling them goals, I'm calling them habits. I have a power of five, and uh, Jimmy actually hasn't seen this yet. So I, I think I've told him a little bit about it, but um, I call it the BEARS model. And bears are just like an acronym that I made up based on the words that I used for my habits. So I think this is huge, right? So I love the idea of the power five, um, but I love the idea of the acronym as well. So if you can make it fun and memorable, it's going to help you chase your goals that much better. So the uh, habits that I have right now uh, for 2019, uh, the first one is uh, business and then I have to work on my online brand at least five days a week. And uh, I've actually been doing it seven days a week since... Uh, since the first day of the year, so uh, that's two months in. Once you get rolling, though, it, it's downhill from Oh, there. it's easy. Well, not only that, but if you love what you're doing, it's not work. Yeah. You know, it's a passion. Right. So I'm enjoying it a lot. All right, so uh, second one is exercise at least five times a week, and I've been doing that very well. Um, analyzing deals. Um, you have to analyze deals all the time, and you have to make sure and make it a habit that you're doing it. You can't go and be like a month without looking at a property. Okay, because think about it, especially in a tough market, you have to be always looking because sometimes it's hard to find that needle in a haystack. Yeah. You know, uh, the fourth one is uh, read, and I've been reading, like I said, uh, a half hour every day or at least five times a week. Um, and then spend time with family. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, my wife isn't always a fan of real estate is because she feels it takes away so much from family time. So in the last uh, few months, one of my habits is to make it a point to uh, spend more time with uh, families. So uh, it's uh, while we're recording this, it's wintertime in, uh, in Rhode Island. So uh, with the snow yesterday, we made a snowman outside. That was some good family time. And we got more snow on the way tonight. So Absolutely. And more uh, family time. And besides that, so I do scouts with my son. And uh, with my daughters, uh, we're always doing something. And we're always having family time. Or uh, spending time, even just my wife and I, watching a movie, which we haven't done as much in the last uh, couple of years just because I've always been so busy. But I'm trying to reel that back a little bit. Now, don't forget, I'm not slowing down in any way, but I'm just trying to prioritize. Yep, try to redirect the time. So I admire the family time as well. And that's something that I've tried to make a priority in my own life. 
So uh, the last thing that I have here um, is a book recommendation. And I uh, always want to make sure that uh, I recommend a book. So obviously I'd re recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But if you are in real estate, I'm sure most of you have already read it before. So uh, the next book I want to re um, recommend was The Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. The Cashflow Quadrant was actually the first book that I read by him. And it basically divides all people that work into four different uh, types. Either you're um, an E, an employee, S, self-employed or specialist, B, a business owner, or I, an investor. And uh, your main goal is to work towards the B and the I. It's better for uh, taxation. It's uh, better for a lot of reasons. Absolutely. So, guys, we hope that you enjoyed the Cashflow Kings podcast, Episode 7, Frank's Story. If you enjoyed it, please give us a share. Tell somebody else about it so we can further the story here, help them out as well. Um, in the meantime, if you want to check out what we're doing, uh, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram or Facebook under The Cashflow Kings. Cheers to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice. Each person should consult their own advisors prior to making any financial decisions.